You're listening to the Word of Hope, sermons preached at Hope Lutheran Church in Aurora, Colorado. Today's sermon is preached by Pastor Brian Wolfmuller. In the name of Jesus, amen. Dear Adam, God be praised for the gift of baptism which you have received this morning. In this, your baptism, this gift, God our Father takes all of the gifts of salvation, all the good and eternal things that Jesus has won for us on the cross by His death, And He delivers them to you, the forgiveness of all of your sins, and life, and salvation, and righteousness, and peace, and the Holy Spirit, and the kingdom of God. All of these things are yours. Your death is defeated. Your sins are forgiven. Your eternal life is sure. And Jesus, your Jesus even now, sits at the, right, at the Father's right hand and He prays for you, interceding on your behalf and interceding for all of us. The Lord's baptized. But that's the end of the sermon. we got to start with the Canaanite woman who we hear about in the Gospel. Jesus and His disciples were headed northeast to the region of Tyre and Sidon. That's way up out of the way. Kind of... You go north from Galilee up towards the ocean. And it looks like Jesus is going to get out of the way on purpose. Matthew tells us that, it doesn't just say that Jesus went to that area, it says that he withdrew to that region. Well, Mark, in, when, in, when he tells the, gives us the account, it says that Jesus, when he got there, went into a house and he didn't want anybody to know about it. He was hiding. But people did know. And they came to Jesus for help. And among those that came to Jesus for help, there was a Canaanite woman, a Syrophoenician woman, that is, a non-Israelite woman, and she came after Jesus, crying out for help. It seems like she was following them for a while, and then she was, she was following the disciples for a while, and then when Jesus went into the house, she even went into the house with them. Now here's what we know about her. She has a daughter. So she's a mother. And her daughter was severely troubled with demons. We know that she must have heard about Jesus. And she would have trusted that he, in fact, could help her. In fact, she knew enough about Jesus even to call him the son of David. Now, that that title of Jesus is a loaded term. And it stirs up for us all of the Old Testament promises of Jesus. And especially this great promise of 2 Samuel chapter 7, where the Lord promises that he would build a house for David, that his son would sit on it forever. This promise of the Messiah there. Now, How much this Canaanite woman knew about these things, the background of this title, we don't know. But we know that she knew enough to trust Jesus and to look to him for the rescue of her daughter. So she follows after him, begging for help, follows him into the house. And Jesus treats her very, very strangely. At first, and this is the kind of the drama of the gospel, it's really kind of an amazing text when you read it. You kind of, you know, furrow your brow and wonder what in the world is going on here. Because at first, Jesus refuses to even talk to her. Matthew makes this emphatic. He did not answer her a single word, the text says. The disciples 
either out of compassion for the woman or perhaps at annoyance with the woman or maybe some sort of sanctified mix of the two, (laughs) come and ask Jesus, saying, send her away. Give her what she wants or just get rid of her. And Jesus then responds to his disciples with these words, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. I mean, do you see what that should mean to this Canaanite woman? Jesus is saying, I was sent not for you. But she refuses to be driven away. Refuses. She falls down at Jesus' feet. And she says, Lord, help me. Now, at this point, Jesus gives her attention. But it's not good. At least it doesn't look like it's much better. Jesus looks down at this woman, this poor mother, and he says these words. It is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. I mean, that, that means what it sounds like it means. <laughs> it was a common Jewish slur to call any Gentile the dogs. We Israelites are the children, and those Gentiles are the dogs. It's a terrible insult. And Jesus uses it that way. It's, a, it's incredible to me that, that the silence of Jesus and then the dismissiveness of Jesus and then the insult of Jesus did not turn this woman away. I, I wonder, and I think all of us should maybe imagine this ourselves, what, at what point would you have given up? <laughs> I mean, probably as soon as Jesus refuses to answer me, I go home. I, no way I make it into the house. And then if Jesus starts calling me a dog, I'm looking for another Messiah. <laughs> But I suppose in some ways, the more that we know about prayer, the more that we as Christians have brought our petitions to the Lord, the more this account begins to make sense to us. It's an amazing thing that in the Bible that we have, we're given really two pictures of what prayer is. I mean, two, two of the chief ones for us to meditate on. And this is one of them. And the other is even as astounding as this one. Jacob wrestling with the Lord by the Jabbok River. That's amazing that the pictures that the Bible gives of prayer are of a contest, a, a wrestling match, a fighting back and forth. This is why Jesus, whenever he teaches about prayer, is constantly teaching us not to grow weary in our prayers or to become tired in our prayers or to give up in our prayers. There's a persistence in prayer, a tenacity in prayer that the Scriptures would call forth from us. Dr. Kleinig, you guys know Dr. Kleinig. He loves to talk about uh, prayer, and he loves to talk about the writings of these old Christian theologians called the Desert Fathers, these monks that lived out in the sticks. And he has a quote from one of these fathers, uh, Abba Agathon, who was asked the question by some of his disciples, this, this, this question, amongst all of the good works, which is the virtue which requires the greatest effort? And here's the answer from this Desert Father. I think there is no labor greater than that of prayer to God. For every time a man wants to pray, his enemies, the demons, want to prevent him. 
For they know that it is only by turning him from prayer that they can hinder his journey. Whatever good work a man undertakes, if he perseveres in it, he will attain rest. But prayer is warfare to the last breath. The Canaanite woman is fighting this this war. She's fighting in her prayers. She's fighting against the devil who is tormenting her daughter. And here in the text, it looks like she's fighting against Jesus, wrestling a blessing out of him. And this is just what she does. She hears this word of Jesus, this insult of Jesus, you are a dog. And she says, fine, I'll be a dog. And says this, Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. (laughs) If you call me a dog, I'll take it. And I'll ask only for the things that get, that the dogs get. The crumbs that fall as the children are there eating. Luther loved to preach on this text, and I love to hear Luther preach on it. He's really the best on this text. He says stuff like, she perceives the yes behind his no. Or this, that this woman catches Jesus at his word, traps him in his word, and this is exactly what Jesus wanted. It's important for us to remember that our prayers are a mashup of two different and distinct things. our, Our prayers are a combination of the stuff that we need and the promises of God. Those two put together. And the main thing is the promise of God. We pray God's word back to him. We grab a hold of His promise and we insist that He keeps those promises with us. You're the Savior, so save me. Save my family, save my church, save my neighbors, and so forth. And Jesus loves it. He loves to be caught in His Word. He loves it that we take a hold of Him according to His promise. He says to this woman, Oh, woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And at that very moment, her daughter was healed. There are two times and only two times in all of the Bible when people are commended like this for their faith. The other is Matthew 8 to the centurion when Jesus says, Truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I, have I found such faith. Now both of these times when Jesus praises faith like this, it's to Gentiles. And both times, these Gentiles had come to Jesus to pray for somebody else. Do you see how wonderful? I mean, prayer, in many ways, is the very first fruit of faith. It's the first flower that blooms on the lips uh, uh, that's connected to a heart that believes. It is the first way that faith in God and love for the neighbor manifests itself in our own lives. That we pray, and specifically that we pray for other people. That we drag them before the Lord and say, save them. That we intercede. It's quite stunning in the gospel text that the prayer of this woman changes. uh, Help my daughter changes into help me. That she, she took the need of her daughter and brings it as if it is her own need and says, Lord, help me. So we do the same when we pray for those who are around us. Our, Our prayers are bringing the people who we love before the Lord and asking for His help. And this prayer, this work of intercession takes the shape of our vocation. So we pray for our families. 
Parents pray for their children, and children pray for their parents. That's what we see in the text, the mom praying for her daughter. I think, and now this is my own opinion, I I do not have a Bible verse to back this up, so you can challenge me if you want to, but I think especially that grandparents have have a special role of interceding for their grandchildren. The Lord loves to hear those prayers. Pastors pray for their people, and the Lord's people pray for their pastors in Christ. Citizens pray for their rulers, or perhaps sometimes against their rulers. <laughs> and, and the rulers ought to be insistent and constant in prayer for the people that they govern. We intercede for those around us. Now, there are a couple of practical things to note here. The first is this. It is good, it is a good habit for us to keep a list of the people that we are praying for. Some of you have a good enough memory to keep this list in your mind. Most of us have to write the list down. I mean, maybe even just an index card in your Bible is a good way to do it. And the list has on it people who need our help, people who need the Lord's help. And I think especially on this list, we have people who, who we love who do not believe in Jesus, or people who have left the church, or people whose faith is being tried by the devil. And we pray constantly for these people, Jesus, you're the Savior, save them. The other practical thing to consider is that we consider this list and the people that need our help and our intercessions, especially before we come to church. We should try, and I know it's normally busy getting ready to church and rushing around, but we should try to meditate on a couple of things before we come to the Lord's church. And the first is, what are my sins? What's, what, what troubles my conscience? What, when it, when it comes to confession, what, what am I gonna, what am I gonna hold out for the Lord in my confessing of my sins so that the absolution can blast it away? But the other thing to think about when we, when we're preparing for church is this. Who do I need to pray for? So that during the prayer of the church, when Pastor Flammy or I are at the altar praying, or even during the time when you're there in the pew, during the distribution of the Lord's Supper, you have that list of people that you're ready to pray for to come before the Lord's altar and to do that work of intercession. I mean, we come to listening to the Scripture, and we listen to the preaching of God's Word, and we come ready to catch Jesus at His Word. We come ready to grab a hold of His promise. We come here, gathered by Jesus, to hear his word and then to speak his word back to him in prayer, to to beg him and petition him to keep his promises with us. We, We are like this Canaanite woman who comes only looking for a crumb that is falling, that has fallen from the table, and we find that the Lord sets us up and gives us a seat at the table, that he gives us a place there with his family, that he listens to us, that he hears our prayers, and that he answers them. Call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you, and you shall glorify me. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. Whatever you ask in my name, says Jesus, this I will do that my Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. And so, dear saints, we intercede. We wrestle with the Lord. We grab hold of His promise and we don't let go. Even if the answer seems a long time coming, 
Remember how Habakkuk preached, if it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. He will not delay. And as we pray, we rejoice that Jesus prays for us. This is our comfort. You know, our prayers often falter. The devil assaults our prayers in every different way, with impatience, with doubt, with confusion about how prayer actually works, with whatever. And none of us pray as we should, but Jesus does. He prays, and he prays for you. Listen listen to this verse, Romans 8. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Jesus is the chief intercessor. Hebrews preaches this for our great comfort. He says, Jesus is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through Him, since He always lives to make intercession for them. Imagine it. I mean, this is a wonderful thought beyond our comprehension that God hears our prayers, but how much more that He prays for us. John tells us, My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. You, Adam the baptized. (laughs) You have an advocate with the Father. And you, dear saints, have an advocate before the throne of God, Jesus Christ, the Righteous One, who prays constantly for you, for your life, for your salvation, and for the forgiveness of all of your sins. And this is our confidence in your prayers, in your life, and in your death. Amen. The peace of God, which passes all your all understanding, guard your heart and mind through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Word of Hope. We hope your time with us was one of joy and peace in hearing the Lord's Word and kindness. If you have questions about anything you heard on today's broadcast, please don't hesitate to contact us at office at hope-aurora.org or call the office at 303-364-7416. For more information about our congregation, for locations, service time, and schedule, please visit our website at www.hope-aurora.org. Thank you for listening to The Word of Hope.